to be encouraged when things are tough, when life sometimes get hard, because in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, God gives us what we need to not only survive, but to stand strong when difficult times come our way. So the Apostle Paul tells us, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of God's might. Not in our might, in God's might. So put on the complete, the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the evil one who tries to destroy you. So you must put on your belt. I'm wearing my belt. Uh, because when we live in the truth of knowing that Jesus died for us and came to save us, then we know who we are and we are not afraid. Okay? And when we obey what Jesus tells us, we are his disciples. And then we live in the truth, and the truth will set us free. And then we put on our breastplate because Jesus gives us Jesus' righteousness. And so we're not afraid of dying, really. Our hope in our hearts are that Jesus protects us. Okay? So we are made right with God by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. So that's why we put on our breastplate. Then we, of course, with all of that, we could put on our sandals. Got my sandals on. Because it's a sandal of readiness. That means you're ready. Aiden, you're ready. Okay? You're ready to go. Okay? And because we know the truth, and we have Jesus' righteousness, we can go. And wherever we go, we bring Jesus' peace. When we tell everybody, Jesus won. The battle is over. Jesus won. And that peace comes on everybody. And you want to share that peace because you know it yourself. And you want to share it because when you, Logan, Hope, who else was in that group? Jeremy, oh. Emily. Because when you have tasted, right, the good news, you want to share it with other people. So, the next thing in the armor, drum roll, okay, is the shield. The shield of faith. Okay? Look what I put on it. You know, this is a symbol. This is a symbol of two Greek letters. And what it, um, it comes from the word that means cross in Greek. And so, a long time ago, you know, um, they used to use the symbol to uh, uh, use to say Jesus. Because if you look at it, it kind of looks like someone on a cross. That's Jesus. Okay? Yeah, right? So, there's a towel and row. Okay. So, what does a shield do? Well, it protects your body. Um, you hold it in your hand. And so, it's something that you need to use. There's a piece of the armor you need to use, and you need to aim it. Okay? 
You hold it in front of you. No one walks with the shield like this, do they? <laughs> right? You, you, put, you put it in front of you. And the reason you put it in front of you is because with faith, you move forward. Okay? You don't run away. Because then you expose your back. All the arrows are going to hit you in the back. No, 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 no. The faith allows you to move forward. Okay? You, it's so silly. Okay? I don't know if you've seen movies where, like, there are, like, Roman soldiers. Their shoes are, like, red. And then they make this big barricade, all of them, like, in a row. It's so cool. So I want you to imagine you and your friends and your faith making like a barricade. When things are tough, you say to your friends, we can do this. Okay, in faith we can do this. Jesus makes us able to stand in faith. Okay. So the Bible says faith shields us by God's power, not our own. We're not standing by our own power. So I want to tell you something. You know, no matter what, arrows come. You know what those arrows are? Sometimes arrows come at you, sometimes. People tell you, you know what, Lucy? You, you didn't do so good. And so then you could start feeling really low, right? Those arrows come at you, and then you could get really low. So a lot of times you can't stop arrows, but the thing is, here's the thing again, God doesn't leave us alone so that we just stand and get arrows stuck at us. No. He says, put up your faith that Jesus did it. Put it up. And then you can block those arrows. Not only that, I really think you can block it for other people. You shield other people. Recently, the other day, I saw um, The Lion King. You guys all have seen The Lion King, right? And you know how Scar, he's so bad, he lies, right? To, oh, oh my goodness, I forgot his name. Mufasa. No, not Mufasa. The little Simba. Simba. He lies to Simba. And Simba believes all those lies. So what does Simba do? He runs away. But you got to put up your shield. So that those lies don't get into your head, your heart, everywhere else, and you believe in them. Okay? Those lies can only be stopped by putting up your shield of faith. So, if you have faith in our Lord Jesus, you can stand and be strong. You can move forward and not be afraid. You don't have to run away and be scared. So if God calls you to go forward, you can go forward. You're not scared. Oh, I've gained weight, so the shield is very hard for me to take off. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so let's pray. Can you open them, shut them, say, we will never yield. Open them, shut them. Charging forward with our shield. Open them, shut them, give your hands a clap. Open them, shut them, now fold in your relapse, let's pray.
Jesus, we are reminded again today that you've already done it all. You give us the strength and the hope to move forward. So let us take up our faith. We put up our faith, knowing that you are powerful and you watch over us. So help us to move forward and be confident that you are with us. Help us not to be afraid of doing all the hard things, like protecting other people. If someone is making fun of somebody, help us to put on our shield of faith and protect them too. So Lord, make us your mighty, mighty soldier of truth. We thank you for this time, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Two things really quick. Um, July 14th, we will have another play date, and that one's going to be really interesting, so please come. And the other thing is um, everybody, uh, the kids, if you could stand up and quietly um, um, line up over there, and we're going to uh, move. Our scripture reading for today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. Thank you. Uh, please pray with me. Lord, we thank you once again for gathering us in your house that we might hear your word, that we might enter into your presence. Speak to us 
Help us to hear your word. And in the hearing, help us to trust, to obey, and to find our life in you. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, our reading today comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And as you just heard, Jesus commands us, do not be anxious about your life. And specifically, he calls us not to be anxious about what we put into our bodies, that is food and drink, and not to be anxious about what we put on our bodies, that is clothing. And the reason Jesus gives is that life is more than these things. Now, Jesus is not saying that concern about food or clothing is you know, sinful or unimportant. He assures us that God our Father knows about our physical needs. And earlier in the sermon, Jesus even taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We are to ask for food and drink and clothing and other daily needs. Now, I know that most of us, of course, are fortunate enough not to be concerned about securing our daily uh, meals. Uh, in fact, most of us struggle with just the opposite problem of having too much food and trying not to overeat. But for Jesus' first listeners, securing a daily meal was a regular struggle. And so Jesus here is not being insensitive or ignoring the needs of the body. Rather, he's acknowledging the legitimate needs that we all have, but also reassuring his disciples that anxiety about those needs is unnecessary. I think we would all agree that Jesus' command, do not be anxious about your life, is a really, really hard command for nearly everyone to obey. Um, you and I might not be anxious about where our next meal is coming from, but we all have a variety of anxieties and concerns and worries of uh, daily living. I know that some of you tend to be more anxiety prone than others uh, and can't understand why your spouses, for example, are not as concerned as they ought to be or as you think they ought to be. Um, I can tell you this week, I was quite anxious because I didn't know what I was going to preach on uh, today. And so here it is. is preach on this. Um, none of us can simply will ourselves to stop being anxious, right? And to make matters worse, we live in a time, I think, of unprecedented anxiety. Even as we approach, hopefully, the end of the pandemic, at least in this country, there is ongoing anxiety about safety, the rise in hate crimes, the increase in political polarizations, the furthering of racial divisions, the uncertainty of economic recovery. And on top of all of that, we have all of the usual anxieties of daily living. People say things like, I'm really worried sick. And it's literally true. Anxiety can cut down on your enjoyment of life. It hampers concentration and productivity. It's been linked to high blood pressure, low self-esteem, substance abuse, and insomnia. It has been shown to increase the risk of heart attacks and strokes, impaired indigestion, produce headaches and migraines, lead to shortness of breath, 
And it can cause all kinds of uh, musculoskeletal aches and pains. And I hope I haven't just raised your anxiety about having too much anxiety about having anxiety. You're probably aware that anxiety as a medical diagnosis is at an all-time high, having been exacerbated by the pandemic. In one recent study, 53% of American adults claim that their mental health has been negatively impacted in the last year. It's not surprising that those who are seeking to get help these days find it very, very difficult to get an appointment with a therapist. And my friends in the mental health uh, field are telling me that they have more patients than, can, than they can possibly handle. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States, affecting nearly one in five Americans. One in five. In addition to a general anxiety disorder, there are the related panic disorders, social anxiety disorder, all sorts of phobias, obsessive-compulsive disorder, post-traumatic stress syndrome, and various other depressive disorders. Now, I want to be clear, and I hope it's clear to you, that Jesus is not saying that these anxiety disorders are something that you can simply choose to get over, that you can simply choose to stop being anxious. Jesus is here not trying to eliminate medical diagnoses of mental health or illness, nor is he trying to dismiss modern therapeutic approaches and psychiatric care. We have to remember that in Jesus' worldview, they did not have the framework that we have today for mental health and illness as the way we understand and define them today. Today, he would, I think, most certainly support medical, therapeutic, and pharmaceutical interventions as an aid, as a part of pastoral care in dealing with these forms of anxiety disorders. The command Jesus gives to us is less medical and really about trust and priorities, which I will get to in a minute. Much like the command to love one another, Jesus is not telling us to change how we feel. The command to love, for example, isn't that I have to feel a certain way toward someone, but that rather I have to act in a way that is consistent with love, to act in a loving way. I may not like someone, but I can still treat them in a loving way. Similarly, the command not to be anxious is not some impossible command to stop feeling anxious, but rather it calls us to a particular orientation of trust. Jesus commands us not to be anxious about our lives, about what to eat, what to wear, because he says that such anxiety is unnecessary, that it is a distortion of our faith values, that it elevates food and clothing to the highest place where they do not belong, that it is useless at best because no amount of anxiety and worrying can even add a single second to our lives, that it is blind, failing to see the realities of God's providence, and that it demonstrates a fundamental lack of faith. And what's key here, I think, is that Jesus equates anxiety with a lack of faith. The opposite of anxiety is not apathy. It's not to care less. 
It is faith. Jesus calls those who are driven by anxiety over food and dress, he calls them, oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. It's the first time that Jesus uses this word in the Gospel of Matthew. And in later chapters, he will repeatedly call his disciples, why do you have so little faith? You of little faith. He calls his disciples and us. He challenges them to place our trust in him. The expectation is that we would have faith in him. And so here, Jesus follows up this negative command to not worry with three positive commands to engender faith. The antidote for anxiety, for anti-faith anxiety, is faith. And here Jesus gives us three things that we can do to help us with that. First, he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Look at the birds, Jesus says. They don't participate in all the work of agriculture and food production that we do, and yet God continues to feed them. To be sure, birds work. They're not lazy. They build nests. They raise their young so they can leave the nest. They avoid foxes and hawks and other things. But God is the one who ultimately cares for them and feeds them. You know, the, the, the common bird that Jesus is talking about has very little value. Elsewhere, Jesus says that aren't five sparrows sold for a penny, for a few pennies? Jesus says, if God cares about something that has so little value, don't you know, don't you think that God will care for you? Don't you know that you are of an infinitely greater value than these birds? Elsewhere, Jesus will ask, which of you, if your child asks for uh, fish sticks, will give him a snake instead? Who would do that? If we who are sinful can still love our children enough to provide for them, don't you think that your Heavenly Father, your Creator, the God who is love, will take care of you? Anxiety is a cousin of pride. It's thinking that you can add to your life by your power when in fact you can't even add one second to it. Anxiety says that you don't trust God and that you don't know God. Anxiety says that you don't know how valuable you are because you're using all the wrong measures of the world. Let me remind you that God keeps a database of even all the hairs on your head. Every time you comb your hair and a hair falls out, God is keeping track of that. You are his child. Don't you think he will take care of you? To worry, to have this kind of anxiety, is to doubt God's love, to doubt God's power. It is a demonstration of our lack of faith. George Mueller said, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. Secondly, Jesus says, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. 
They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed as one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? You know, when I hear lilies, I think of the, the, uh, the potted lilies uh, that you see during Easter time, those, uh, the white lilies. Um, but what Jesus is referring to here is not that at all. The lilies of the field are simply colorful wildflowers that you would see um, in any field. Around here, Jesus might have said, you know, um, cosmos or, or daisies or even dandelions, really. The lilies of the field are just wild, uncultivated flowers or weeds, depending on your perspective, that just happen to grow in any field. And the point that Jesus is making here is not simply about clothes, uh, you know, as a covering uh, for nakedness or even as clothing to keep you warm. I think here in terms of clothing, he's talking about the anxiety we have over social status of, of our identities. Clothes are a sign of status, right? Uh, today, but even more so back then. Whether it was the, the multicolored robe that Joseph got from his father as a sign of his favor, whether it's the, uh, the long indigo tassels that priests like to, to wear on their robes, or whether it's this, this incredibly, you know, flowing, wealthy, royal robes of Solomon, you know, to show off his uh, opulence. Um, clothes are a symbol of our self-identity. It's one way of how we judge one another. But Jesus says, if God makes the effort, if God makes the effort to array the weeds of the field, which lawnmowers regularly cut down without giving it a second thought, don't you think God will also much more to take care of you, to clothe you in all of his glory, and as Jesus said, to clothe you in power from on high. Now, I think with this, these two commands, to look at the birds of the air and to consider the lilies of the field, Jesus is really calling us to pay attention to the world around us, to look up at the birds and to look down at the lilies of the field, to see God's creation all around us, to pay attention. Like I mentioned last week, there is much wisdom to be gained by simply paying attention to God's creation. In this case, Jesus says that birds and wildflowers can teach us of how much God values us and that we can trust him to provide for our needs. A few months ago, you may have heard the news um, about the passing of the, uh, the children's uh, writer and illustrator, uh, Tommy DePaola. Uh, when my kids were younger, he was one of our family's favorite authors. And we especially enjoyed um, his stories about Straganona. And um, one of the characters in those stories uh, was a character named Big Anthony. Uh, we loved Big Anthony because uh, he was this um, tall, lanky kid. Um, he was kind-hearted. But because he, was, he never paid attention, he would always get into these uh, messes and create chaos for you know, all the people uh, around him. And so, uh, you know, the, throughout the book, you would always hear, attenzione, Anthony, right? Pay attention, pay attention. And even today, when, whenever one of our kids uh, doesn't pay attention, um, I should say, when one of our young adults uh, don't pay attention, uh, we will still say to uh, him, 
uh, or her, you know, stop being an Anthony, or we'll call, you know, we'll call him uh, Anthony. Now, the, now, the thing about birds and wildflowers is that they're so common that it's really hard to pay attention to them, right? We, we, we're drawn to things that are unusual, to things that are extraordinary. But the things that you see every day that are around us all the time, it's really hard to pay them much attention. And yet that's what Jesus does. He says, focus, he calls us to pay attention to these, these small things, these ordinary, the mundane, something that we see every day as a way of reducing anxiety and increasing faith. He's telling us not to be anxious and to having faith requires not some extraordinary pilgrimage, not some superhuman effort of charity or having some profound insight into scriptures. The admonition isn't to look for the extraordinary, but rather to pay attention to the ordinary things that God has created right where you are. You can find that right where you are. You don't have to go looking for it somewhere else. I think this is both welcome news and quite difficult, right? Because on the one hand, it's all around us. But on the other hand, the challenge is to really pay attention. And but here's the thing. Even if something is extraordinary initially, if you see it enough times, it becomes ordinary. I imagine if I were to travel to, to Paris, uh, I would be, you know, gawking at, at the Eiffel Tower or the Cathedral of Notre Dame, right? It would be like, wow. But I imagine for someone who lives in Paris their whole lives, it's just another building, it's just another monument that they probably don't even notice. So instead of constantly trying to look for something new and exciting, Jesus calls us to have this kind of ongoing attention to what is right in front of us. I think G.K. Chesterton is helpful when he wrote this in his book, Orthodoxy. He makes this reflection. He says, it is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be, I love this, that God makes every daisy separately. He makes a gazillion daisies that all look the same to us, but he makes them one at a time, and he enjoys making them one at a time. Chesterton says he never got tired of making them. It may be that he has an e the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. And he says this, the repetition in nature, the repetition in nature, that is the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, may not be a mere recurrence. It's not a mere recurrence. It may be a theatrical encore. God takes delight in what we think of as just boring repetition. He delights in each wildflower. With every sparrow, he finds delight. God is able to do that, and Jesus here is inviting us to do the same. And as Chesterton points out, the reason we get bored and tired of looking at the same thing is because of sin. 
Sin has made us old and bored. But God is never bored of life because God is life. And so for us to do, to have the kind of attention requires that we have more of God's life and less of sin. And that is what Jesus makes possible. That is what faith makes possible. I know that the ideal of mindfulness uh, to be fully present in the moment is quite popular these days. And so much of anxiety is rooted in fears, unfounded fears, about a future that never comes. So much of anxiety is rooted in what-if worst-case scenarios that are statistically nearly impossible and unlikely. And Jesus says, instead, look at the world around you. Pay attention to what is in front of you of God's creation, the ordinary beauty of life and the miracle of life here, now. When you do that, when you can do that, when you can appreciate and see God's care for all these sort of um, animals and, and flowers that have so little value, when you can see that, then you can have confidence that God's care for you is going to be even infinitely greater. Finally, Jesus says, in addition to paying attention, he says that the best antidote for anxiety is really to seek first the kingdom of God. To seek first, to prioritize the kingdom of God. I want to remind you that the word for anxiety from the Greek, it's a compound word meaning to divide the mind. To divide the mind. It's the opposite of being mindful. It's letting you know, your mind be distracted by a thousand different things. Remember the observation that Jesus made about Martha uh, when Martha was trying to prepare a, 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 to host a dinner party for Jesus, Luke 10 says, but Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And so she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself? Tell her to help me. But Jesus said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried, that is, you are anxious and distracted by many things. But there is need of only one thing. Being distracted by too many things, that's anxiety. And I think it's quite instructive that the English word worry comes from a Germanic word meaning to strangle. It reminds me of Jesus' parable of the sower. Remember the seeds that were uh, uh, thrown upon the, the, the thorns? They, they came up, but they got choked, right? With all the worries of life. The deceitfulness of riches and it, and it choked the fruitfulness of those vines. Worry and anxiety can do that. It can strangle the life out of us and keep us from being fruitful. But when we seek God's kingdom and his righteousness first, everything else, Jesus says, will fall in place. I know that for most of you, um, for me too, uh, when we hear the word righteousness, we, we tend to think of personal or individual piety, right? We think of like being right, made right or being justified by God, and we think in terms of our own righteousness and salvation. It is that, of course. But that's not what Jesus is primarily concerned about here. I think the word here, the uh, righteousness, might be better translated as God's uh, rightness or even simply justice. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and God's justice. And here I find the old King James translation very helpful. The ESV translates in what you heard. Uh, verse 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The King James Version says this, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Really, the only difference is that little word, ye. Ye. Seek ye. That is, ye, you all. It's in the plural, right? All of you, the church, seek together the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. What's critical here, and often gets lost, is that Jesus is calling us as a church to seek first together, to prioritize together the kingdom of God and God's just. Yes, of course, make it the first priority of your personal life to seek the kingdom of God. Instead of having your mind divided over many, many things, go after the one important thing in life. Be single-minded about God's kingdom and his righteousness. Yes, seek God's kingdom first. As Richard Foster says, the person who does not seek the kingdom of God first does not seek it at all. Each of us needs to do that, certainly. But it's all in the plural here. It's not that you will be individually rewarded with all these other things if you seek God's kingdom first by yourself. Right? This should not be understood to think like, hey, as long as I think about God first, God's going to give me everything I need. That is not what Jesus is saying. He's saying when we as a church, as a community, pursue together to make the priority of our life together the kingdom of God and his justice, then all these things will be met. It makes sense, right? When we are all pursuing God together, then no one, then no one is going to experience hunger and thirst because we will all have that peace. We will all be able to share when the kingdom of God is realized in community, then all these other things will be there as well. It is not simply your individual anxiety that will be overcome by community, but even the anxiety of the community will be overcome by community. And Jesus concludes this section of the sermon by repeating his admonition against anxiety, but gives a different reason for it. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, perhaps thinking about this verse, once defined anxiety as the next day. The next day. I think that's great. None of us knows what's going to happen the next day. And as I said earlier, so much of anxiety is rooted in this apprehension of what might happen, what bad things might happen down the road. And so we waste today. We don't enjoy today. We don't pay attention to today because we're worried about protecting ourselves from future potential calamities. And Jesus calls us instead to pay attention to what's in front of you now and make sure that your priorities are straight, that together you are pursuing the kingdom of God first. Do not be anxious for tomorrow. Or as the Apostle Paul reminds us in Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything. 
about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And when we do that, when we trust God, all these other things will be added unto all of us. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus our Lord, even as we seek the kingdom of God together. As the people of God, we need not be overcome by anxiety. In faithfulness, in faithful obedience to Jesus, pay attention to the world around you, to the people around you, the people that you see every day, as well as the birds and the wildflowers, to see what God has created and know that you are greatly loved and valued. And let's seek God's kingdom and his just together so that no one will lack for anything. Please pray with me. God, we come today with thanksgiving and ask for your help that we might not be anxious about the future, whether it's of ourselves, of our families, of our, of our church, or of our nation, or even of the world. Help us not be anxious about what may or may not befall us, but in everything to trust you, knowing, knowing that you care for us. Let your peace rule our hearts. Teach us to be mindful of the world, to the ordinary wonders you have created, to enjoy each and every bird, and help us to seek your kingdom together. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.